Hey. Good morning, church. Oh, man. Man, I got so excited. I set off the fire alarm in the first service. And this is happening now. I know, it just happens. Technical difficulties. Hey, good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Um, we have an abbreviated message. You'll be happy to know. I won't keep you long, but it's a good message. I think it's a strong message that God needs us to hear, especially with what's going on today. And I'll tell you why it ties into baptism and communion in just a minute. But we're going to be in Psalm 63 this morning. If you want to open your Bibles and turn there, I'll be in the NASB version of the Bible. But this is a Psalm of David. You all know we're in 1 Samuel and David wrote many of his psalms while he was on the run from Saul. And this is a psalm he wrote while he was in the wilderness. For well over 10 years, David was on the run from Saul and he found himself in the wilderness, the desert. And he wrote this particular psalm and I enjoy this psalm so much because it's not a psalm of a downtrodden soul. It's the psalm of a man who puts his faith in his God to get him through times in the desert. And it's not his fault that he's in the desert. It's not due to his sin that he's in the desert. The desert that David has experienced is because of another's sin. And it's so important to make a distinction as we go through this this morning, that we church will find ourselves in the wilderness, in deserts for reasons that maybe we didn't cause. Maybe it wasn't sin that drove us out into the desert. Maybe it wasn't walking away from God that drove us out into the desert. Maybe it was something that somebody else did or that other circumstances caused us to be in the desert. And how do you respond when you're in that wilderness and you're feeling alone, when you've been diagnosed with cancer, when you have lost someone you love, when you are experiencing marital difficulties or you're just on the edge of losing your job and the only income that you have, those types of deserts, those types of wildernesses, what do you do? How do you respond to a living God? And how does he respond to you? So pray with me, church, and we'll see how David responded to his wilderness experience in the desert. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your wisdom and examples such as Psalm 63 and how David pours out his heart in love towards you. Father, be with us this morning as we go to your word. Open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our minds for what you would teach us this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. So church, so somebody advance to the next slide for me. Oh, man. Um, so church, in Psalm 63, I love the way David opens his psalms. His psalms are always full of emotion, full of impact, full of the gut, full of the heart of the man. And he does that in this psalm, and he opens it by saying, Oh God, you are my God. Why is that important, church? Saul could not pray the same prayer. Saul could say, Oh God, but I'm not sure Saul in his heart, mind, and soul could say, You are my God. You are the one that I acknowledge as my sovereign. You are the one that I worship. You are the one in whom, whose footsteps I follow. But David boldly says, Oh God, my God. You are mine. I am yours. We are in relationship. That's what happened this morning with these folks who were baptized. They boldly stood up. They came out of that water. And what did they declare, church? Oh, God, my God. You are my God. I am your child. We're going to engage in communion at the end of the service. What are you going to declare? 
Oh God, my God. I associate with you. I align with you. I believe that you are real, that you exist, that you are something more than words on the page. You live, you breathe, you move, and you love me and have chosen me. And in relation to that, I shall seek you earnestly. I shall seek you earnestly with a passion, with a determined will, with a desire to seek the very sovereign God who we claim exists. If, church, we believe that there is an all-powerful God that exists and that loves us, would not we seek him earnestly with purpose? Or would we say he's good on Sundays, maybe on Sunday nights, but for the rest of the week I'll have nothing to do with you, O God, my God? We wouldn't say that. But some of your Bibles, instead of saying, I shall seek you earnestly, say what, church? I will seek you early. I will seek you in the morning when I get out of bed because, oh, God, you are my God. The first thing I will do early in the day is I will look for your face. I will look for you in my life. I will acknowledge that you are God and that you exist and that I am yours, owned lock, stock, and barrel by you. For all that you did for me, you give me the privilege of seeking you in the morning, early in the morning. Some of us worship in the morning. You ever heard of Jehovah Java? Some of us worship coffee in the morning, don't we? Don't we? We say, the first thing I'm going to do when I get up in the morning is have that cup of coffee because I'm no good to anybody until I worship at the feet of Jehovah Java. Well, you know, that's not the way it should be, church. The thing that we look to to enliven us in the morning and to bring us life and to bring us energy should be, oh God, my God. He should be our coffee. He should be that thing which gets us motivated. He should be that thing which puts our head on straight and says, now I can think like Jesus Christ because I'm seeking him early in the morning. But church, he goes on with this passionate exclamation of why God is his God and what it does, what it causes him to be like. He says, my soul thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. Now, when I read that, I'm a bit convicted, church, and I tend to ask myself, how long has it been since my soul thirsted for, oh, God, my God, to the degree where my body ached? Because he said his flesh, in conjunction with his spirit, his flesh yearns to be in the presence of of his God. I'm reminded of a story that I heard many years ago that you may be familiar with. It's about the philosopher Socrates and there was a young man who wanted to be a follower of Socrates. He wanted to be a disciple of this famous philosopher, Greek philosopher, and the young man would follow him around and say, Socrates, I want to be your disciple. And one day, Socrates turned to the young man and said, follow me out into the water. They walked out into a lake, and Socrates grabbed the young man and put his head under the water and kept it there, and the young man struggled and grabbed and flailed and grasped at Socrates' arms, and finally, after a few seconds, what seems like an eternity to the young man who couldn't breathe, Socrates pulled him out of the water, and the young man said, why did you do that? And Socrates said, 
when you want to seek truth as badly as you just wanted air, come and follow me. When you want to seek truth as badly as you just wanted air, come and follow me. What was his point, church? Do we thirst for Jesus Christ like we would thirst for water in the desert? Do we thirst for Jesus Christ to the point where sometimes our flesh aches like the earth groans in anticipation of its Redeemer? Do sometimes we have those experiences where our body just says, Oh, come, Lord Jesus. But not just, Oh, come, Lord Jesus, but, Oh, be with me now and let me serve you now. David says, In a dry and weary land where there is no water, he seeks his God. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. I said earlier when I started this message that some of you are in a dry and weary land. Some of you are in a place where you have no control, and maybe it's no fault of yours. Some of you are in a place where loneliness is deep, loneliness is hard, where anxiety is reigning in your soul, in your heart, in your mind, not because of something you've done, but because of the situation you're in in life. And that's who I'm talking to this morning. What do you do when you're in that dry and weary land? David says, I still acknowledge that God is my God. And I still yearn for him. But church, James in chapter 4 of the book of James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Jesus in John chapter 4 says, those of you who follow me will never thirst. So if you are in a dry land, if you are in a wilderness, if you are in a desert, if you are dying inside because of something that's coming at you from this sinful world that we live in, and you think that God has abandoned you, realize that if you draw near to him, he will draw near to you, and Jesus Christ is an abundant river that never stops flowing, never stops flowing. Whether you're in a forest or the desert, you will never thirst if you drink from the water of Jesus Christ. What does that mean, church? That's just words. That's just words you're spouting, John, on a Sunday morning. What does it mean that I never have to thirst if I'm in a desert as long as I draw near God and I love Jesus Christ and I believe him that he is abundant, he is a river that is abundant? What does that mean? David says, thus I have seen you in the sanctuary. I've seen your power I've seen your glory. David can no longer go into the sanctuary because he's in the wilderness. He's in the desert. He can no longer go into the city. He can no longer go into the tabernacle. He can no longer watch the priests sacrifice for him. He can no longer enter those holy places because he's on the run. He's in the wilderness. But he reminds himself that I have seen you in the sanctuary. Church, I want to read this to you, and I don't want you to turn there. I want you to listen to these words because you have seen your Lord in the sanctuary. You have seen your God in the holy place. You are witnesses to the veil in the temple being torn in two and having access to Jesus Christ. You can enter in. Isaiah, don't turn there. Isaiah 6. Verse 1, in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. 
Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at his voice, the voice of him who called out, while the temple was filled with smoke. Then I said, woe is me, for I am smitten. I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me. With a burning coal, he came to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquities have been taken away, and your sins have been forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. If you're a believer in this room this morning and you're going to take part in communion and if you've been baptized, these are symbols of something that happened. These are symbols of you entering the sanctuary. These are symbols of that burning coal touching your lips and making you holy. These are symbols of what Jesus Christ has done for you and our response should be, holy, 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 here I am. You've done this for me. Send me. Send me. I am yours. You are mine. Oh, God. You are my God. So what's the importance of this? David says, I'm no longer in the sanctuary, but I've seen your power and your glory there. David comes to realize that whether he's in the city in the sanctuary or whether he's in the desert, the same God with the same power is in the wilderness. The same God with the same power who was in the tabernacle is in the wilderness with David. How does David know that? Because in verse 3, he says, because your loving kindness, Lord, is better than life, my lips will praise you. When David remembers seeing God in the sanctuary, he also remembers that God was there in the sanctuary. Jesus Christ was there on that cross because of his loving kindness, because he loved us. And whether we are living high on the hog or whether we are hurting and in pain, the same God that saved us and let us enter into the Holy of Holies is the God who will be with us wherever we find ourselves. And because of that love, my lips will praise him. My lips will say, you are my God. I will identify with him. I will not be ashamed of identifying with him. I will not ever turn from him. I am his disciple and he is my God. And because of his love, I will praise him. But church, he says, because your loving kindness is better than life. So though this world may take my life, though sin and death, may take my life. I know that my Lord has ultimately overcome sin and death. My Lord has overcome cancer. My Lord has overcome heartbreak. My Lord has overcome anything that the wilderness, that the desert can throw at me. And I know that there's better things than this life. I know through his love that there is a hope that I have in my heart of a better world, of a better place, of a better relationship 
with a God who loves me. And my lips, church, will never cease to proclaim his glory and his love. Have your lips been stilled? How often do your lips proclaim your love for Jesus Christ? Proclaim it today, church. If you've forgotten how to do it, proclaim it today. If you've forgotten how to do it, in your mind, enter back into that sanctuary when you first came to believe. Enter back into that time when you would have done anything for your Lord and Savior. When you didn't want to shut up about the transformation that took place in your life. When you went from death to life and no one, no one could close your lips. I, verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. What else can I do? What else can I do? But bless you as long as I live to make every day a dedicated day to you. What else can I do because you have loved me so much? It is an honor and a privilege to lift up my hands in your name. But let those hands be clean. Let those hands be free of sin. We all sin, but we don't have to be controlled by sin. Lift up holy hands to heaven, church. Because he died for you. Verse 5 says, My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness. Hey, do you enjoy anything more than a good meal? No comments from you. Yes, I've enjoyed a good meal or two in my day. And there's nothing better than getting that big, juicy tomahawk steak or that lobster or that supreme pizza. But David says, my soul is satisfied as with the choicest foods. My soul is satisfied with you, Lord, as it would be with the choicest foods. With whatever best thing this world could offer me, my soul is more satisfied in you than that. I don't know. I don't know if I can say that, but I want to. I want to trust the Lord that much. I want to find peace in the Lord that much. I want to love the Lord that much that I say, I love you more than food, more than good things, because church, one day they may be taken away. We may find ourselves in a desert without choice meats, without marrow, without the fatted calf. And what will we do then? Well, we will love him just as much as we did when our table was full. Because we've seen into the sanctuary and we've beheld his glory. Verse 6, David goes on. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, early and late. David seeks his Lord. Why is this important? Because David says, when I get up, I will earnestly seek you, O God, my God. But he says now in the night watches, what is he talking about? Well, David's on the run. David and his men are on the run from a king, a maniacal king who wants to kill him and at any time could send a team of men to stealthily enter camp and slit David's throat if he chose to. So David cannot get rest at night. He has night watches. He has people watching in the desert because the desert is a dangerous place to live. He's in that wilderness and he knows it's not safe for him to be there. Someone could approach, so he has night watches. 
But how does David deal with this anxiety? How does David deal with this constant threat of death, this constant threat of attack, this constant nonstop earthly threat of evil coming at him? He says, I will meditate on you at night when I can't sleep, when I toss and turn, when my men are on the towers watching, when they're in the outskirts of the towns looking for Saul's men. I will meditate on you because you are the same God that was in the sanctuary that's with me in the desert. And I will meditate. What is meditating? Just thinking about God and his glory. For you have been my help. You have been my help in the past. As I look back in my life, David and you and I would say, we can see where God has brought us, where God has helped us, where God has carried us, where God has picked us up, brushed us off, and made us get through the deserts of our life, the wilderness of our life. But yet when we're experiencing it now, sometimes we doubt him. Will he get me through this one? Will he carry me to the other side of the desert during this experience? And the answer is yes. He's the same God who brought you through all those experiences of your life. You have been my help, and I will trust you to continue to be my help because I have entered into your sanctuary and I have seen your glory and your power. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. Uh, Someone gave me this this morning before I preached the first service. It's a feather. And this is the last verse of my teaching this morning. In the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. And I looked at the feather. I was just moved because if you look at the feather... It is so intricately designed. It has a beauty of its own. It has a power to create flight. But what it means more to me, and as I relate it to this verse, is I have the most comfortable pillow in the world, and it's not sold by the MyPillow guy. It is is stuffed with down feathers. I have a comforter that is my favorite comforter, and it is stuffed with down feathers. They're hard to get these days. But when I thought of that feather, and I thought of, and in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. I thought to myself, he is my comforter. He keeps me warm. He is my pillow. He allows my head to rest. He is my joy. Because in the shadow of his wings, whether I am in the tabernacle, or whether I am in the synagogue, or whether I am in the desert, his wings bring me comfort. His wings give me rest. And he will bring me through this desert like he has so many times. And if this desert is my last stop, I will behold him face to face. And I will see that abundant water more clearly. And I will sit and I will drink it with him. I'm going to ask the men to come forward who are going to administer the communion this morning. Church, as we do communion this morning, as we celebrate... Make sure that God is your God. Make sure that he is your joy. Make sure that the shadow of his wings covers you in your desert. As the men come forward, let's just bow our heads for a moment before Andrew leads us in communion. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your message. Lord, still our hearts, still our minds. As we take communion and declare our love for you this morning, Lord, we ask, we ask that you be our God. And we would honor you as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.